Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. Can America find its way forward again to freedom and prosperity after a catastrophic Biden presidency? Joe Biden has made himself into the weakest, most unpopular leader of our lifetime and the most destructive. That's the view of the overwhelming majority of American voters. Just look at the poll numbers. But is there a silver lining to this? As Tucker Carlson points out, Biden's malicious ineptitude is so overwhelming that it is single-handedly changing American politics, and everywhere there are signs of a massive generational realignment <coughs> taking shape in response to the disasters his administration has created. The old coalitions are crumbling before our eyes. Hispanic voters, African, and Middle Eastern immigrants, many black voters, are all running at remarkable speed from Joe Biden and his policies. But here's the catch. Will Republicans act on the likely mandates they have in this November and also in 2024? I have my doubts. Look no further than the gun control bill that Mitch McConnell is speeding through Congress with its unconstitutional red flag laws. Joining me, to help figure this out is uh, about our conservative plans and prospects for the future is President and Chief Executive Officer of the America First Policy Institute, Brooke Rollins. <coughs> Brooke was formerly Director of Domestic Policy Council and Chief Strategist in President Trump's White House. Uh, she also served there as Director of Office of American Innovation. Before that, she built the Texas Policy Foundation into the country's leading state policy group. So, Brooke, let's jump in. How do, you, how do you see things shaping up, and what's the role American First is going to be playing? Well, first of all, that was beautifully said, Bill. Thank you so much, and what an honor to be here with you and, and the great work and thinking that you do for the movement and everything that we're trying to do to save America, frankly. Yeah. And it is talking about what President Biden and the Democrats, frankly, have done to this country in just a year and a half is so heartbreaking, especially, I think, well, for all of us that believe in freedom and liberty and the Constitution. But it may be slightly more heartbreaking for those of us that were in the last administration that worked around the clock. Uh, I was with President Trump for three years and enacted and executed and led on his domestic policy agenda. And so to see the deconstruction of the work that was put into and invested in frankly, reviving the American dream across all parts of our country, but especially in parts of the country that had never seen or experienced it before, our underserved communities, to see all of that just basically go up in smoke. Well, you know, I had Russ, Russ uh, Vogt and Ken yes, Cuccinelli my, on. My, we were talking about borders, and yes. it's just talk about heartbreaking and destructive. And, well, and, that from the open borders to the highest inflation rate in 40 years, you yeah. can't even afford to put gas in your car, to the foreign policy disasters of Afghanistan and Ukraine, to the cost of everything, including health care going up, to you know, the, the loss of all these children during the COVID lockdowns that were exacerbated in the blue states under the left's uh, leadership. It, it is heartbreaking. But to your point, 
on a silver lining, there is one. In great challenge comes great opportunity, right? And so for those that didn't love my former boss's tweets or didn't love a certain way that he may talk about things, at the end of the day, I think at least most Americans now understand that policy is important and that having someone and a team of people who are willing to execute on big ideas and are courageous and bold really does help all Americans, but especially helps those with the least among us. And so now that waking up is really a, an incredible gift that hopefully we can take advantage of. Well, the of. thing that you've done that is very impressive is and you talk about the heartbreak of people who worked in the Trump administration mm-hmm. to uh, fix things, and we fixed a lot of them. Uh, you've gathered a lot of people who've worked in I government and in, in the administration. And with all due respect to our fearless leader, Mr. Trump, love of the guy, uh, he didn't exactly come into Washington in 2016 or 17 ready to go. Oh, that's, and, that may be the understatement of the decade. But yes, continue, Bill. And, it's, and, and it looks like what you're doing, and I think it's very mm-hmm. smart, is you're putting together a team in place that knows how these agencies work. Mm-hmm. So when we get back into uh, the job in 2021, 2025, I guess, after we win 2024, we'll know what we're doing. I mean, you've got the head, former head of the SBA, yeah. acting attorney general, head of departments of energy, interior, homeland security, U.S. Mm-hmm. trade representative, the National Economic Council director, yeah. good old Larry Kudlow. God, God bless Larry Kudlow. <laughs> and, and Kevin Hassett, Council of Economic Advisors, and the Florida Attorney General, Director of National Intelligence. I mean, you've got the people working in your group That's right. that know what's inside these agencies. And, and that, to me, seems to be the biggest problem we have. We can all talk about great policy, mm-hmm. but you've got this embedded bureaucracy in the deep state that you may mm-hmm. have good ideas, and they just don't get done. That's right. President Trump will say today, because I've heard him say it, that the biggest regret that he has, that if he had a do-over and may still have a do-over, what he would do differently is be ready with personnel. And I see that as bigger than just people. It's personnel, it's policy, and it's process. And you're 100% right. The original vision of the America First Policy Institute, as his domestic policy chief, we had mapped out his second term agenda. And when it became clear uh, late 2020, early 2021, that we weren't going to be staying for that second term, the concept for me was how do we continue the groundbreaking transformational policy of the America First agenda that we really launched in the White House, but not only in the federal government, but how do you continue that work in the state governments and in the local government as well? So having an agenda for the new Congress and for all the new state legislatures around the country in January 2023, that's a big part of what we're doing. But to your point, also a big part, and one of the main reasons I wanted to do this, having come from the conservative movement, as you mentioned, and built an organization in Texas over 15 years. You took it from three people to 100 people. It was it was an amazing sort of 15-year run. Yeah. But what I knew, Bill, was that and looking at the current landscape and when we were leaving the White House, there are an amazing amount of legacy organizations out there that are doing good work. But what I didn't see was an organization that could take nine former cabinet members, 17 former White House senior staffers, 45 former administration officials, Mm -hmm. and have a place where we could continue to execute, continue to do the America First agenda for the American people, but also be ready 
for the next White House, whether that is Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis or Ted Cruz or someone we may not even be talking about today, our side has never been ready. And we're going to change that. I think this is an important point. This was something you were developing for Donald Trump's second administration. Mm -hmm. But this is not necessarily attached to Donald Trump. This it's, is the playbook right. for whoever we nominate and, and, and who wins. That's exactly right. And I think, as you mentioned, the people that are likely nominees, I think they'd all buy into what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's now, no doubt. Now, Heritage did something like this in the uh, in the eighties for Ronald Reagan. Mm -hmm. Is that is this similar to that or different? It is, or what's it is the... very similar. And but what I would say it's even one step further because the team that we have put together are not just the greatest thinkers of the movement. We actually executed over the last four years. David Bernhardt knows exactly in the Department of Interior. When we go back, again, depending former, on... Former Secretary Former of, Secretary of Interior. Yeah. He knows exactly now today on day one the staff he needs, the terminations that need to happen, the policy goals that need to be implemented, and we will have that plan for every major agency ready, and we're preparing it over the next two and a half years. What executive orders do we need? What legislation needs to be drafted to codify moving most of the bureaucracy into a Schedule F category, which most of your, thank God, don't know what that is, but still understanding the intricacies of the administrative state. I think it's state. important to explain Schedule F because what, you know, those of us, and I come from a world of private equity, Wall Street, so I'm kind of learning how all this yeah, works. You yeah. think, well, gee, elect better congressmen for women. Well, you do that, and then you realize, well, they're not really legislating anything that matters that much. And what mm -hmm. tends to happen, they've delegated most of that over to the administration. Mm -hmm. And the real action is in the agencies. That's right. The 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or God knows how many agencies there are several that are hundred. doing this stuff, several mm -hmm. hundred. Mm -hmm. um, and you get a political appointee to run it. But yet, you know, I had Michael Pack on here and he took yeah. over the Voice of America or the agency that ran Voice mm -hmm. of America. And he said it was stunning. He came in with two or three people. Then he had thousands that were already there. They didn't want to change anything. Him. That's right. That's right. Not just that didn't so want to schedule change out. anything. How do but what we found in many of the agencies, education, uh, EPA, certainly uh, Homeland Security, a little bit less. But still, not only did they not want to change anything, not only were they worried about protecting the status quo, they were actively working against us. And it really, we didn't really understand the extent of it until we knew it would be bad, but I think every cabinet secretary, every deputy secretary, which we convene on a monthly basis from the Trump, camp, Trump administration, would tell you that they had no idea what they were walking into. Schedule F is a category uh, of employees in the federal government. Right now, a president, Republican or Democrat, would only be able to fire at will what is called a political appointee. And that is maybe 3% of the total, maybe at most, it may be much less than that, of the actual federal employee group. What we did at the last year of the Trump administration and we're really going to be executing on in the first year of term two was moving almost 30% of the federal employment group, which is a couple million people, those who are federally employed, into that category so that they could be replaced hmm. uh, with the beginning of a new administration and or into an administration if they weren't executing the vision of that current president. 
And that's a game changer. When we talk about deconstructing the administrative state or draining the swamp in Donald Trump words, you can't do that. You can't do it with a handful of people. There are 6,000 positions that are open on day one of a new administration, 6,000. On day one of a Trump or DeSantis or Cruz or Cotton or Haley administration, we need to have all 6,000 people identified and ready to report to work at least in the first week. In the Trump administration, it was months, if not years, if at all, that we ever had those positions even filled. So that's really what we were, really need to work to change. Uh, this is the Bill Walton Show. I'm here with Brooke Rollins, who's CEO of the uh, America First Policy Institute. And there's a saying in this town that I think is 100% true, which is that personnel is policy. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can have all the great ideas, but unless you've got people in place who understand and can do what's necessary to implement, nothing happens. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. And, you know, it really is remarkable if you think about the miracle that so much did get accomplished in the wake of that sort of pushback, but the sort of not, I, I'm never discouraged because I do believe I'm so encouraged at the opportunity. Well, that you're an Aggie. Had. I am an Aggie. And, and we you're are, president of the student body with all those, in, all those boy engineers. I was actually 100% <laughs> true. I married into a family of boy engineers, generations of them actually. But uh, yeah, the pathological optimism probably comes a little bit from that. But, uh, but to think that under pretty harrying circumstances with impeachments and government shutdowns and the media being against you and big tech. I mean, all of the, the forces that were against us. What I walked away from my time in the last White House was, is, was this, that you can make transformational change with a handful of people, really in the best idea of our founding fathers. A handful of people got together and decided to create the American experiment I believe we restarted that to a certain extent in the last administration with a handful of very courageous people who refused to give up. But now we understand how it works. So the opportunity to really execute on that is what's incredibly exciting to me. So uh, do you have a, an office filled with resumes yet? <laughs> we have a lot. We have had thousands of people actually who wanted to join in. We've got about 140 How employees. How are you vetting them? I mean, you're not at that point yet. We're a ways off. But I we're mean, a little ways off, but we're starting right now. Because there are a lot of pretend conservatives, a lot of pretend people that want to, they just want to get in there and they'll say and do anything to get into the job. Well, we had a few of those too in our time, but with social media I can today, think of one or two. <laughs> yeah, we, you and I may have the same <laughs> list, but uh, with social media today and really with the amount of vetting that we had begun to do in the last administration and having that list of names. We just announced yesterday, Michael Regas is joining our team. He mm -hmm. was the head of OPM, the Office of Personnel Management, which means he was in charge of the 2 million federal that, employees. That's tremendous. He is now joining the AFPI team full-time to build this entire project out and do it in a substantial way. So we've got all of the necessary tools and shame on us, Bill, if we're not able to really really move this out in a big way for the next team. Now, there are other people in town working on similar things. I mm -hmm. think Heritage just announced something. They sure are, which is great. But, you're, you're, but Brooke, you, Kevin Roberts, who now runs Heritage, worked for you in, right. in Texas. Yeah, Kevin is a warrior. He is extraordinary. And we found him. He was the president of the Wyoming Catholic College, small little college in Wyoming. But he, I, I kind of checked him out before we interviewed him. He was willing to stand up against his own church and talk about how free enterprise was not about greed. And 
how, you know, the conservative ideals uh, were so important. And as a very strong and faithful Catholic, he was so proud of that, leading that college. And when he sort of raised his hand to come to Texas and be the executive vice president at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, uh, he was really an extraordinary leader. Of course, we had no idea then that I would step away and go into the White House mm -hmm. and really build a TPPF in the White House. But at the time, we brought Kevin on because we realized that the states and the state of Texas were really leading the way and were the model for a potential new White House and new Congress. And all of the ideas that we executed in Washington, we've done in the states before, and we know their results from tax cuts to deregulation to tr health care transparency to school choice. And Kevin is a leader of the first degree. He's going to be a game changer. So much I want to talk to you about, but this point you're making about the states is really worth repeating because mm -hmm. it's easy to be here in Washington and, and enter in a state of despair. Mm -hmm. I know. I, I'm grateful to live in Texas where I am not surrounded but by you the get despair. Out, you get outside the beltway and you go, in a lot of the, yeah. go into a lot of the states and it's, there's actually a lot of good things happening. An amazing amount of good things happening. And when, you know, my background is I actually was Rick Perry's uh, policy director, which is how I even leaned in. I was a litigator right out of law school and then ended up in Rick Perry's, uh, in his administration when he was first governor and was his policy director. And it was really instructive to me and, and why I wanted to eventually build the Texas Public Policy Foundation. I didn't even know who TPPF was as Rick Perry's policy director. It was a teensy little group working on textbooks out of San Antonio. But what I learned was that if there was a robust policy effort whose client was the idea of freedom. It wasn't beholden to special interest. I wasn't, no one ever came and talked to me in the governor's, in the Capitol in Austin, Texas, about freedom and liberty and what the right policies were. And so I think my, you know, 18 years ago when I joined TPPF, I think I brought such a different perspective than a typical think tank leader or, or person I, would do. I, I would think a litigator would. Right. Well, and I was an <laughs> agriculture major from right. Texas A&M. Right. I had right. no PhD in economics, yeah. but I did understand how the state of Texas government worked. And I knew that if we built out the right infrastructure, that we could 100% move Texas in a direction of freedom, having no idea back then that Texas would become the model. Now other states have caught up and Florida maybe has even gone ahead, but at the time, Texas was like a were, big state. Were you part of the tort reform in Texas? Part of the tort reform in that Texas. Was, that's huge. It was a huge effort, a huge effort. But keeping in mind back then, Bill, people don't know this. There were Republicans who were filing income tax legislation in Texas. There were Republicans who were trying to pull down as much federal money as possible. Well, and we were able to change all of that. And that's what's so encouraging to me that if you talk about these issues in the right way, you build the infrastructure to execute on them, and then you hold the elected officials accountable. You move courage into everything you do. You can change the world. And, and I saw it in Texas, and I saw it again in the White House. Well, that swings us to, well, I want to, uh, uh, Kevin Roberts, I'm glad he was working with his church churches to push back, because one of the problems we have is a lot of the uh, Christian community, I don't think, appreciates the free markets. And, of course, your, my fair. long suit is coming from economic um, yeah. liberal libertarianism, and I'm now sort of involved in all the issues. But, I mean, that's the other thing. You've got a dream team of economic people. You've got uh, Kudlow, you've got Hassett, you've got... Uh, it's extraordinary in uh, every way. Steve Moore. Yeah. Uh, Art Laffer, you know, and it's interesting though. Th now, have they officially joined or are they part? Steve I didn't is see official. Him on the okay. Steve Moore's official. Kevin Hassett's official. Larry Kudlow's official. And Dr. Laffer 
will likely be very soon. So yeah, <laughs> we, we need his his wit. He's his humor. the best. Yes, I worked with him in Texas quite a bit. So, so I want to make sure we get to this. We got you've got a you've got a, a, we've got time limits here. Let's oh. talk about Republicans. Mm -hmm. I talked about that at the outset. Mm -hmm. I'm really concerned that the people you're the Republicans you're talking about in Texas are here in spades, mm -hmm. and they're very entrenched. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I referenced Tucker uh, in my opening, and you know, he digs into this. But he, you know, the Republicans have basically sided with Biden on COVID restrictions and mm -hmm. vaccine mandates and um, spying by intelligence agencies. They haven't done anything mm -hmm. about the social media monopolies. Uh, CRT, they've really been absent without leave. I mean, there are all sorts of bad things that are happening, and the Republicans haven't stood up to it. Here's what I would say about that. The process that the Democrats and the left have put in place has captured all of Washington. Mm -hmm. And when the disruptor-in-chief came down the escalator in 2015 and said, I'm going to do things very differently— I'm beholden to no one. And then, for those of us in the movement, we didn't really understand how he would govern and if he would govern that way, but he did. And he brought sort of a, a hurricane into Washington. And I don't know without that hurricane if I would be at all encouraged that there is a light at the end of the dark tunnel that you've just laid out. What we have I'm with do. you on that. Yeah. He, was, he was a game changer. He, mm -hmm. showed, he showed us possibilities that we didn't think existed. That's a, a thousand percent right. And, and I, even I, the, the pathological optimist from Texas, when I finally agreed to come up to the White House and help build a team on policy that was offensive looking, uh, I didn't know. I thought this is my calling. You know, so many people have died for freedom. If I need to go to D.C. for one year and try to help, I'm going to do it. I ended up, you know, three years and would have stayed longer because it was wonderful and I felt like we were getting a lot done. But the process that has been put into place through years of, well, frankly, both Republican and Democrat rule, if you will, really elite rule from both the parties. The Bush administration was not exactly uh, There was no game-changing, forward-leaning policy there. So to answer your question we have to put forward an agenda that the American people believe in that will then impose their beliefs on our elected officials and make it an absolute that they have to fight for these things. Well, and most, if they don't, they go home. Most of them are really interested in getting in front of somebody else, getting in front of a parade that's already moving along. Mm -hmm. I mean, they don't, right. they don't start out leading it. I mean, 95% yeah. of them are followers. That's right. That's right. And it's so you a, want to create an inevitable parade that they feel like they got to get in front of. That's right. And then the leaders that are there, and they are there. I mean, whether it's, <clears throat> I believe, and I'm great friends with Senator Ted Cruz and lots of great members in the House that really want to fight for what's right. But they have never, the left has been great at imposing their agenda on their leadership. Our side, we're building businesses, we're raising families. We get involved around Election Day and make sure our friends go and vote, and then we go back to our lives. What we're trying to do with the America First Policy Institute is build the infrastructure. It is a 24-7 fight for freedom with an agenda 
that the American people believe in that you need to campaign on if you're going to get elected. Now that you've campaigned on it, now you've got to go to Washington and execute on that agenda. Then we've got a White House, you know, a campaign for president. And you sort of see the long term. This is not a two-year or four-year play or plan. This is a 20-year, 50-year, 100-year plan that if we build this right, along with our partners like Kevin at Heritage and other organizations that have been in this fight for a long time, if we do this right, we begin to impose the same agenda and provide the path forward for people that are looking for leadership that have been elected. Most people don't come to Congress with any any real notion of what the what the issues mm-hmm. are, the principles. I mean, they that's right. They have a, they have a good instinct. They get elected, and then they show up, and then all of a sudden, Mitch McConnell or, or they get provided with staffers who are mm-hmm. lifelong inside the Beltway people, and then that's they're right. captured by the system, and they don't really have any ideas or leadership to help them. Uh, help them get there. That's exactly right. And hopefully that has now changed. Now, SPI, which is Jim DeMent's shop and uh, Ed Corrigan's, they're working on staffing new congressmen who are elected. That's right. Is that, are you working with them? Because getting the staffing right is is critical. so important. And I will tell you, Jim DeMent is a warrior's warrior. I, I just, I feel like so many of us stand on his shoulders. Ed Corrigan is extraordinary. They helped us so much in the last White House. And they were, they've gotten a little bit bigger now, more robust. But back then it was a shoestring operation. But it tells you with the right people and the right plan, our side has got to be better about strategy. The right people, the right plan, the right strategy. You really can make a huge difference. So, yes, no, we are all sort of locked arm in arm in this in our various lanes. So the right people where we put them. And it's not just the administration. It's also the congressional staffing. That's right. But with a plan, that's the difference. Do, do we have a sneak peek peek of the plan yet? Have we rolled it well, out? Well, the America First Agenda. I, I looked in vain on your you website did. for the plan. I didn't see the look, plan. <laughs> look for July uh, 25th and 26th. We're going to be doing a two-day summit in Washington. Okay. And uh, we'll, be, we'll be laying it out then with uh, many, many, imp- you know, important in the movement, elected and leaders, and also a special guest that we've not announced yet. And, uh, and that, of course, the timing is they okay, move into recess, July, go home that's July. 25th and 26th. And uh, really, Bill, any of your fans or watchers that may want to be a part of that. And uh, where do we find information? What, what website? What's, where do we go to? We don't have an outward-facing invitation, but I will get you one, and then you can send sure, it we'll to Sure, we'll put it uh, out. Yeah, everybody. we'll make it part of the, uh, the yeah, show link. Yeah, that would be great. We would love that. And uh, we're expecting about 500 people in person. What will be sold out and a couple hundred thousand on the live stream. So it will be it will be broadcast across the country, but laying out that agenda uh, that then will our congressmen and women and those running for office will go home for recess well, and then into well, campaign. Well, that's a big point. We tend to think because of your background and kind of my interest of the president's uh, agenda, but we need an agenda for people running in November. That's and exactly so you're going right. to get ahead of that. And yes. for and like my favorite. Senator, I'm being facetious. Mitch McConnell doesn't seem to want to run on anything. <laughs> I know he just wants to. They just want to run on Biden's uh, the Biden catastrophe. They That's don't want right. to say what they're for, or what they'll do. That's right. Which I think is a fatal mistake. Yeah, me too. I think there are a lot of political consultants in the political consultant class who are advising you to do that. But I have always believed, and I, I lived it firsthand in Texas and in in the White House. If you provide the bold, courageous leadership. You provide the intellectual ammunition that backs it up. 
you provide the framing on how you talk about it. We shouldn't be talking about Obamacare on health care. We should instead be talking about a vision for America with a plan yeah. that includes you choosing your own doctor, not their plan of the government choosing your doctor. And Bill, when we talk about those issues in that way, we move to, again, 70% support of our ideas from our side, of course, but from independents and moderate Democrats. You know, one of the most important data points I took away from the last White House was this. Our state, states of the union, that was really our one chance to give an unfiltered policy speech to the American people. 40 million people watched in various platforms the president of the United States lay out his vision. And, you know, it wasn't a rally. There weren't tweets. It was really our chance to say, here's the vision. Independence watching that speech moved our way 27 points when they could see the vision laid out in a bold and courageous way without all of the noise. Some of the noise created by, admittedly, our, ourselves too, but most of the noise created by those who were against us. But when you had a direct conversation with the American people, they move your direction. And we see these numbers in huge ways with the Hispanic population, blue-collar workers, African-American population. They are ready to come into our tent. We just have to continue to make the compelling case as to why they should. I'm getting a signal here. Your, your, your young man is saying we've got to wrap up. Um, but I, I have to ask this question because I believe that Donald Trump is going to run again. I think that's a good guess. But you're talking with him. I'm not. I wish he'd get over 2020. Mm -hmm. I think it hurts him. I think I believe that all this bad stuff did happen mm -hmm. and it influenced the election. I don't know whether I want to put a word on it, but when you get 89 million mail-in ballots or whatever it was, yeah. Yeah. we knew they were going to do something. And That's the 2,000 right. mules provides a lot of, mm -hmm. provides a world window into that. And people can say, well, this wasn't right. That, but, but generally speaking, yeah. but that was then. This is now. And this is now. Yeah. And so I hope we don't, you know, I hope when he does run that we don't have to relitigate all of that because we got to work on winning the Creating future. Creating a vision for, for America. Here's what, here's my... Let me let you wrap up. Yeah, let me say a couple of points on that. I think that I am so grateful to President Trump for so many things. He did not have to leave his life in New York. He's the only one that left office poorer than when he like moved into office, right? Well, as you point out, dying for freedom, yeah, it's not as bad as coming to D.C. No, it's so true. <laughs> it's it's 100% true. And I know he, if he were here with us, he would agree with that 100%. But uh, I am actually very grateful to him for elevating the fraud that did happen in our election. But here's the interesting point. All the people that were behind Hillary in 2016, they all believe the election was stolen from her. Right. All the people in 08 believe that the election was stolen from, I think that was McCain. I mean, there is no confidence in our elections in this country from either side of the aisle. And I think that President Trump's sometimes singular focus on November has really woken up a lot of America to the truth of that. And it has allowed organizations like ours to move into the states and into the state legislatures and pass laws that need to be passed to ensure that what happened with those mail-in ballots will never happen again. To your point, I think there's no doubt, and I believe the president is with us on this, that providing the alternative vision to the destruction of the current administration in Washington 
is what is next in the movement. And he is the person to do it because there are so many people looking for leadership. And I think you'll see that moving forward. And I'm really excited about that. Brooke Rollins, thank you. Uh, President of America First Policy Institute. Thank you. And, and pay attention to Brooke Rollins and what she's doing. She's a game changer and she's mm. putting together something I think is going to make a big difference uh, thank you. In, how we, in how we proceed as conservatives. So thanks for tuning into the Bill Walton Show. And uh, as always, you can find us on Substack, YouTube, Rumble, Apple, Spotify, and all the places that, and also in CPAC now on Monday nights. Uh, you can you can catch us there and all the other major pod, podcast platforms. So I've done my promo. <laughs> yeah, so I love it. come back to find out what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks. Amen. There well we go. Done. Good. Yeah, we had okay. fun. I hope this is not inappropriate. You have the most beautiful blue eyes I've ever seen. <laughs> I, I seriously, I didn't see it upstairs. Maybe because of the light. Yeah. It's remarkable. Yeah. I mean, and even, I don't even have good eyes for even from this far away with the light. It's unbelievable. Anyway, just to wrap things up, maybe I should have said that on the video, right? Well, we may. It's still running. It we may. Still be on the video. We may use. <laughs> We're definitely going to use that. Yeah, exactly. I was like, oh my. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.